Think about the long-term health and sustainability of your business and know that people play a critical role in that success. They're the number one contributor to your success. Hey there, it's Bev and I'm the host of the People at Work podcast today. And our guest today on the episode is Camille Nasita, who is the president and CEO of Gongos Inc. And Camille and I are going to chat today about why belonging is more important than skills. And this builds on Camille's belief that people realize their full potential when they're in the right seats within an organization. So I'll get right into it and welcome Camille and hand it over to you for an introduction. Thanks, Bev. I'm so glad to be here today. Thanks for having me. Um, so Gongus is what we like to call a decision intelligence company. Thank you for the correct pronunciation. Oh, actually, I didn't know I was correcting you. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> just so used to saying it. Um, so we're, we're a decision intelligence company. And we, if you were to Google us and get onto our website, the very first thing you'll see is that we make customer centricity happen. And basically what that means is that for our clients, we are very dialed into helping them understand their end customer needs and really take an outside-in approach to developing their business vision, strategy, and execution. Um, if you've heard anything at all about customer experience or employee experience, our company helps large organizations, typically Fortune 500-type companies, really fuse a great employee experience with a great customer experience. And relevant to this podcast is the fact that our true belief is that a great employee experience actually precedes a great customer experience. And that great employee experience oftentimes starts with getting the right people in the right seats based on more than just skills. Well, thank you for that. And yes, um, your your area of expertise and the work that you do routinely for your customers is very much aligned with some of the things that we're excited about and interested in, uh, both at Jostle and at, uh, you know, on the People at Work podcast. And I think what I find interesting about your business is that, uh, you know, you set sort of the bar of, uh, you know, this understanding around the alignment between CX and EX. And, you really need to walk the talk in terms of your own employee experience, I would imagine. We do indeed, right? And that is, um, it's funny, I just had an experience yesterday with some of our most um, junior employees in the company. And it was a training that we call the fusion of CX and EX. And within that session, we really do bring to the forefront that, yes, we're out there talking to our clients and helping our clients solve their business challenges of CX and EX and bring those together. But in order to do that, we have to practice what we preach. And isn't it um, sort of powerful that what we're out there talking to our clients about we get an opportunity to practice that internally so we can get really good at it. So when we're out there helping our clients, we're not just advising them from an observational perspective, we're literally advising them based on our own experiences and what we know has worked for us and what we know hasn't worked for us. Yeah, that's super interesting actually. At Jostle, we 
we view ourselves as a laboratory for employee engagement and internal comms and how to build workplace culture, where we basically test out what we think are best practices so that we can then share those or, or pay those forward to our customers through the product that we're designing. So it's interesting, we're, we're, we're in different kinds of businesses, but we, we seem to have the same philosophy about starting at home, if you will, and then yeah. taking it out into the world. Yes, kindred spirits indeed. And I love how you just said that, pay that forward to other organizations. That's very much our approach too. It's like, okay, what have we really benefited from? Uh, what have people really relished in that we feel could be um, great potential for other companies to benefit from as well? Yeah, absolutely. So you've been at this for almost uh, 20 years. Is that how long Gongas has been in, 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 in business for? So we are on our 28th year this wow, year. That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. Hard to believe. But well, yes. I would imagine you've, uh, you've got a few learnings and some good experience under your belt. And in particular, what I, I'm, I'm intrigued about and some of the reading that I did about uh, some of the things you've published is just having a very different view of, of hiring in your organization has, has brought about quite interesting results for you. And I'm hoping that you can... Help us understand what you've done over the course of those, you know, almost three decades now in terms of your hiring approach and why it's important to have people in the right seats. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll start by just emphasizing the fact that, yes, putting people in the right seats really means so much more than a skills match for that seat. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people can achieve a skills match, right? We know that. But if you really want to differentiate based on your people, and that's a firm belief of ours, we know that we can differentiate against our competition based on our people. And because of that, there's sort of a couple different tenants that we use to uh, when we think about hiring. Um, and those two tenants really start with a core values match with our business and a match with our, or at least a kindred spirit, let's say, with our mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. And when we say core values, we certainly aren't talking about just some fancy words written on a wall somewhere that sound really good to people. They, our core values are clearly articulated behavioral expectations um, that define how we treat each other and those same core values extend into our brand promise. So it's always also how we expect our people to treat our clients and the community and suppliers that we deal with. So those core values are central to our hiring process. And one of our very first or our very first core value is the idea of humanistic. So our core values in total are humanistic, intelligent, passion, and pride. But we really believe the humanistic piece, which our definition of that is encouragement and support for others, that really links to having a sense of belonging mm -hmm. um, because our, that articulation is a sort of we versus me attitude and it encompasses servant leadership. Um, and if you have an environment that really places a focus on those core values together with like-minded people and your purpose, that's where you truly get the power of hiring to core values and getting people in the right seats. And then you get the skills match, right? We have so many times as a company um, turned down people that had 
a really great skills match, but we didn't feel like they were going to be the right match for our core values long term. And we're looking for, you know, long term employment as much as we can, knowing that people might not stay there here their entire career, but you put a lot of time and emphasis on getting people in the door. So just like with, you know, you've probably heard the euphemism with a, a business development from a business development lens, it's so much easier to retain a client than to go out and continue to get new clients. Mm-hmm. Same holds true with employees. If you can retain an employee and grow and develop them within the environment that you're in, that's so much less expensive and um, more uh, beneficial for the business than having an employee churn rate, right? And bring people in, they don't fit and out the door they go. So we really believe in that core values match. Yeah, I think that's really admirable and and really sticking to that through the process, I think is is tremendously difficult, is, especially um, in high growth industries. Uh, you know, we have a lot of tech companies here in Vancouver. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really hard when you have to hire, you know, 30 to 40 people a month um, <laughs> to not just put uh, bums in seats, you know, and, and just deal with the consequences later because you simply need to get the manpower or the person power in place to get the work done. So what advice do you have for companies who are going through big growth spurts where the, the supply might not actually be sufficient to adequately match with values? Yeah, that's a great question. And we face that ourselves as well. Um, I think there's two things. One, be super uh, intentional and articulate, articulate about what your core values are. Because if there's any um, question as to what those are, then it's really hard to look for those in candidates, right? So be really purposeful about what those are. So as you're hiring, you know exactly what you're looking for. That expedites the, the process and the interview. And you know, we start to scream for that on, a, on the phone before we, candidates even come in the door so that we are not wasting people's time sitting down and spending hours interviewing people that weren't a core values match mm-hmm. in the first place. So that's something you can do to expedite the process. Um, but I believe there's other things that, you know, trade-offs that you can make in terms of bringing folks into the organization versus um, potentially looking at a controlled growth path, path versus bringing a ton of people in and expediting that growth process. We have made that conscious decision as a company that will only grow as fast as we can find great people because we feel like that's growing for the long term versus looking at things from a very short term perspective. When we do have that need to hire a lot of people all at once and we can't find the core values match, that's when as an organization, we look to um, contractors or consultants to extend our bandwidth versus bringing the wrong people into the organization and eventually letting them go when they're not a core values match or when the business maybe declines and you don't need them as much anymore. So we've found that to be a better solution than hiring a bunch of people and hoping that the core values match is there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, it's just, you have to, as a a leader or, you know, or someone who's in a position of decision-making, you have to be able to quantify what the cost is of bringing someone in who is not a match Mm -hmm. and, you know, it might feel like it's it's filling a gap in the short term, but what would you see as some of the the negative impacts on you know 
having this sustained growth where you're putting the wrong people in the in in the wrong seats um like what impact does that have on on culture and and ultimately the bottom line of a business i think there's so many things that it impacts when you hire the wrong people um I think probably the number one thing is for the folks that are the right match and are in the right seats and that you really do believe in, there's no better way to demotivate those folks than bring others into the organization that clearly do not match, right? So there's no worse way than to disrupt a team than bring folks in. So you're not just talking about the ramifications of that single person who doesn't fit the organization, you've now created disruption for a team or, well, other individuals, a team, the entire organization. It's, it becomes systemic by bringing one or two or three individuals into the organization that just aren't that right fit. So back to the point you made earlier, I mean, you're trying to solve a short-term need, but you're really shooting yourself in the foot for the long-term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe we can also just, um, just for the, the audience's benefit is let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I've seen a lot at, at the moment around culture fit and why you shouldn't actually hire for cultural fit. So perhaps let's just contrast what your understanding is of um, values-based hiring versus hiring for cultural fit. Do you see them as the same or different? It's a good question. I don't think I've ever really thought about it through that lens. Um, obviously, values are a part of your culture. They're not the entire culture, right? Your culture is made up of so many things beyond just your values. You know, for us, we think of hiring to values as a way to nurture our culture and we're very sort of protective over the culture that we've created. So that's one of the first steps in nurturing the culture. Um, hiring for culture. I don't know. I don't know how I see those as completely different because I feel like the values piece is such a core foundation to the culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess in our environment here, we, we are also values based. And I guess what we, how we approach it is we actually welcome and value diverse thinking and Mm. and unique ideas and people from different backgrounds Uh, we have over 25 nationalities represented in our 70 odd staff members so we have you know we've we've always been a company that celebrated difference Um, but we are all linked by the set of values that we believe is core to how we operate and service our customers and how we build our platform or our product so we don't necessarily hire for cultural fit, but we do hire for um, almost for people who bring depth to our business, but they also do need to be able to deliver on our value set and identify with those values personally. So it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing, right? Because you don't want this cookie cutter hiring. You want to have the variety of thinkers and, backgrounds and life experiences but you also need to be able to assess whether the person you're bringing into your business can be an extension of your brand 
And I know that that is an important element to you around how the, you know, the, the collection of your people amount to your ability to deliver on your brand promise or not. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can chat about that a little bit from, from your perspective in terms of the decisions you've made in your hiring process over time. How, how have they impacted your ability to keep your brand promise? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as you said, we really believe that our brand promise or people are our brand promise, right? Um, And that brand promise is embedded in our behaviors. So no matter what seat somebody is in, because we have that brand promise, um, it's, it's articulated in people's words and those associated behaviors. So included in that is core values, but it's so much more than core values. So when I think of our brand promise, it is related to how people think. It's related to how we want to show up with our clients. And it goes back to having a variety of um, levels of experience within the organization. So we do a lot of hiring straight out of college, but we also put a lot of value in a variety of disciplines and experiences from, um, from disciplines outside of just marketing research. So design and analytics and um, consulting, all of those pieces come together to create the brand promise that we have for our clients. So as you mentioned earlier, it's like the values tie people together, but it's, it's, so it's the one thing that you can sort of count on is that foundation that creates similarity, mm-hmm. but then we very much value sort of restless dissatisfaction and divergent thinking and collaboration. So those are pieces of the culture that come together and tie together to create that brand promise for our clients. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you help people, both new hires as well as people who've been with you for many years, how, how do you help them navigate and and work within the framework that you've established? Variety of different ways. So as people come into the organization, um, we pair them with a mentor. So they get a manager, they get a mentor, and they also have a, we have a fairly um, disciplined onboarding process to bring them in. And in that onboarding process, they're not just being taught sort of skills and what they need to get the job done, they are being slowly but surely indoctrinated into the culture. It's like going to, you know, assimilating to another company is similar to assimilating to another country or region (laughs) of your own country, right? Everybody operates, you might be in the exact same business as the guy next door, but man, the way you run your, your business and the culture that these people have to operate in is oftentimes very, very different. So we really set people up for success, we believe anyway, by sort of giving them a um, village of people around them to ensure their success. And because of sort of that number one core value of ours being humanistic, so encouraging and supporting of others, the people that come into our organization our um, fueling the success of the people that are already here, right? If you look at it from that lens, the folks that we have set up to um, onboard that person, um, as they're onboarding that person, that person can take on roles and responsibilities that they once had, which then just 
enable them to propel themselves further into their own career path, right? Um, as you're teaching someone else something or delegating something to someone else, that leaves the opportunity for you then to step away from whatever that task or responsibility was because you've onboarded someone else who can do that. So we've, it's very much sort of a self-fulfilling uh, role and when you're onboarding someone. There's no competition in that. You know, I've seen that in other organizations where there's no real um, benefit to onboard someone because you're just onboarding someone that you then might become a, a competitor with or they might be taking your role or trying to fill your shoes. That is not the case here. Typically, when you're onboarding someone, you've got a real reward for helping them to get find success as quickly as possible so then you can move on to something else and progress your own career. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that the concept of a, a village of people, it's got such a strong nurturing and empowering theme to it. And it really is a seems to be a perfect extension of my observations that I've had about your culture just in speaking with you and, and the reading I've done about you. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about how intentional you are in terms of the environment that you create within your company with regards to things like creating a psychologically safe environment where people can innovate and take risks and share and support one another, um, which is something that we're seeing more and more now is really what distinguishes an okay company with an extraordinary company. Um, it's these places where people can go and be their whole selves. They can go and fail and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes in a supportive environment. So, um, are any of those themes and ideas resonating with you? Do you, is it something that you're intentional about in your environment or does that just happen naturally because of the way and the attitude that you're bringing with your leaders into your workplace? That's a great question, Bev, and it sparks a lot of different thoughts for me. Um, but I think, you know, where I'll start with it is uh, one of the leaders, you know, if you look outside of these four walls, we all have, um, folks that we sort of look up to, right, and hold as role models for how we might like to be. And I'm sure you're familiar with Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, we, you know, follow him and have brought some of the things that he talks about into our manager meetings or leadership forums um, as points of inspiration for us and how, you know, ideally we'd like to, to lead. Um, but I really believe that leadership and creating that sort of environment of psychological safety begins with establishing a foundation of trust, right? That's the basis of everything. Mm -hmm. If you can't trust your leaders, then I don't know who you really can trust, especially in a, in a work environment. So beginning with that foundation of trust means being transparent with the folks here, uh, about what's going on in the organization. And we practice transparency, everything from you know, our financials to um, the goals that we're working on in a quarter, uh, how we make decisions, all of that is very much articulated to our people so that they're not just understanding the what and the how, but they're also getting a real glimpse into the, how, the, the why, mm -hmm. why we do what we do. I believe it has become a natural part of how we operate, but even though it's natural, we take a very disciplined and intentional 
um, focus to it. Literally, before, right before I got into this podcast, I was just meeting with a woman that we're bringing into uh, a manager position here at Ganges and uh, explaining to her that managing people here isn't sort of a promotion. It's not a career um, stepping stone. The folks that we have in manager positions are people that truly have a passion for helping other people to succeed. You don't get a raise when you become a manager. It isn't, like I said, a promotion. You don't have to become a manager to progress forward here. We want people to be managing other people that truly want to make a positive impact on other people's lives, right? And that I think is a very different philosophy and that there's not this um, extrinsic benefit that you're going for to become a manager. It really is an intrinsically motivated thing. And because of that, we um, ask our managers to be very vulnerable and to help people to learn not just through successes, but also through experimentation and failing and learning through those failures to propel themselves forward, right? Our biggest mistakes are usually those things that create the disruption in our life or the, the 180 degree turn that you needed to make to learn something really new and different to take that huge step forward. And that's what we espouse with our managers. We truly believe that those managers are the conduit between our people and Ganges corporate, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, they, are the, they are that glue that hold us all together. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting talking about extrinsic and intrinsic motivators. And how have you found that has impacted your hiring process in, in terms of, um, you know, putting opportunities out into the market where you might have to conform to a standard job title, for example, which you know, if you use the word manager, there's sort of certain traditional bits of baggage that hang off that word. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you sort of marry the, what seems to be internally within your organization is um, you have a bit of a different view to leading and managing. Um, for others who are listening, um, how do you actually hire for those positions that may not be as traditional as the marketplace um, expects them to be? Yeah. So um, we don't actually, we don't typically put people in a manager position walking in the door. So very rarely will we actually hire a person and automatically put them into a manager position. Uh, Usually it requires the person to actually be in our environment for a good six months, um, oftentimes longer than that, to actually become a manager. So you'd never really see a job posting for Gongus where we're hiring for a manager only. Um, again, it's, it's maybe a bit untraditional. Um, it also maybe slows down our growth a tad bit. But again, everything here, we look at it from a long-term perspective. And the last thing we want to do is bring a person in, trust them to manage a group of five, six, ten people, and then find out three months later that, oops, somehow they made it through our interview process and they actually weren't a culture match. And now we have to, you know, exit them from the organization. And again, then we just disrupted not just that person, 
but the five to 10 people that they were supposed to manage. So we don't bring people in as managers. They sort of have to, I hate to use the word, but prove <laughs> themselves mm -hmm. that they, um, that they are right for managing the people in the way that we view a manager role and a leader role here at Ganges. Yeah, I find your your approach fascinating and, and ad admirable, quite honestly. I, I think that, uh, you know, I haven't spoken to many people who really are sticking to their guns the way that you are. And I, I'm sure that you you have been reaping the the benefits of it over time. And the, the other thing that I'm really noticing from you is a very clear focus on the collective and, uh, you know, everybody coming together as one and working towards this common purpose, but also achieving individual success and being satisfied at an individual level through that process. Yeah. So, um, all that being said, how have you had to refine your hiring process over time to get to the place where you are operating at this level? A lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of experimentation, a lot of practice for sure. Um, and there have been huge refinements over time. So I can tell you, we didn't always hire to core values, right? There was a point in time you know, many years ago where we thought, gosh, why were we bringing people in and they just don't seem to fit? Um, and that's where we did the soul searching exercise to hire for core values. But many of the other things that we've introduced over time, um, you picked up on the, you know, the um, individual commitment, but that fits into the collective. So we very much hire on a strengths-based um, platform. And we don't, uh, are you familiar with Clifton Strengths Finder? As I a, am, yes. Yeah. So we don't actually have people take that before we interview them. That's one of the very first things that they do once they come into the organization. But we really believe that um, matching people up with their strengths and putting them on assignments so within teams that are really going to play to those strengths make us stronger as a collective. So again, didn't really come into the hiring process, but once they're in the door, that is one of the very first things that we do in terms of putting them in the right seat and with the right teams. Um, but back to the hiring process, a couple of the things that we have refined over time is um, having folks actually go through the first round of interviews as sort of a, a fairly traditional interview approach, but with multiple people in the organization. And it used to be that those people included mostly um, leaders of the organization, but we also now have folks that would be peers with that person interview them. And we feel that that's a real win-win, right? Because the person interviewing gets a good feel for the other people in the organization that they are gonna be most associated with. Um, and again, sort of back to that sense of belonging, you want to come into an organization where you feel like you're going to be secure and like-minded and able to be connecting with people, hopefully on more than just the work that we're doing, right? So that peer-to-peer -peer interview. Um, and we've seen, you know, the other side of that win for our organization is the folks that are interviewing for people that will also be on their team or taking on a very similar position, it's amazing to see the pride that comes out in that interview process when a person gets to tell someone else what they do every day. 
and that they are, um, their opinion is respected in terms of bringing another person to the organization to do what they do. Like that's a win for the person coming in because they get a true to life picture of what they're going to be doing and also to view from their seat, are they going to find a sense of connectedness? But it's a win for the person on our side to be able to know that we trust their opinion on the folks that are coming in. We want them to also like and respect and see value in the other folks that we're bringing into the organization. So it's a real win for both sides. Um, and then we've also introduced panel type exercises into our interview process to give real true to life um, view to the candidate of not just the people they're going to be working with, but the types of situations they might find themselves in. So let's say we're hiring somebody for a strategic account management position. We would put them in a, in a scenario-based panel exercise where it's very much like uh, interacting with a client or we put a business challenge that a typical client might want to solve and they have to interact with the team on how they would solve that challenge. And within that, we're not just looking for the right answer because there is no right answer, mm -hmm. but their thinking process and how they're relating with the team or what the client, you know, the client interaction might be like. So there's so many different things that we're looking for in that panel situation to really give us a true assessment of values, culture fit, interaction, brand promise, all of those things really come to fruition when you put them in those real, real to life scenarios. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly seems like you're, even from the very beginning and through your hiring process, you are uh, very authentic to this notion of being a village of people. And this empowering and nurturing theme seems to be present right from the very beginning, from when someone engages with your company as a prospective hire. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I think a lot of people struggle with that because they they don't know how to enable their people to be on the front lines of interviews or to be um, conversant in uh, how people need to show up in the organization or um, just even, you know, expressing pride in the work that they do. So I think uh, we do we do a similar thing here at Jostle. We always have uh, a mixed panel of interviewers who are represented, uh, who represent different parts of Jostle, even people who may never work with that person on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so for example, if it's a software engineer, uh, someone from marketing may well be on the interview panel. And we do that deliberately so that the person gets a real true sense of the, you know, the collaboration and the, the cross-functional purpose and intention of our teams. So. It's, it seems like you, you have a similar attitude to, to that part of hiring. For sure. Now, that is one of our key tenants, I believe, is just getting people, um, getting people to have as much exposure to the company prior to coming in. Because, I mean, it's important for them to make the right decision, too. Of course. It, right? It's, it's not a one-way thing. It is very much a relationship, and we want it to be mutually beneficial. So you've provided a lot of insight into different aspects of your, your culture, and, and in the last few minutes, we've talked a lot about um, your hiring process and how that's changed over time. But just as a sort of a closing question, um, what 
practical tips might you have for listeners to improve their hiring process for the long-term benefit of their business? I think, you know, the, the um, statement that you just made about long-term is critical to the advice that I would give. And that is in this, you know, world that we live in today, right? People are such an important part of your business. And if you can be intentional about the fact that people are or can have the potential to be a core differentiator for you and put a long-term focus on bringing folks into the business versus putting butts in seats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that is, that's my number one advice is just don't think of it as a short-term fix. Think about the long-term health and sustainability of your business and know that people play a critical role in that success. They're the number one contributor to your success if you put that intentional focus on people. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good note to wrap up on is just to bring this back home to organizations are made up of individuals and those humans are complicated, emotional, powerful, uh, complex, difficult beasts to deal with sometimes. But, you know, yep. we all come together and we do these amazing things together. But we have to start with the individual people uh, in order to get these amazing results as a collective. So, um, you know, I, I think what you're doing in your organization is exciting. And, uh, you know, anyone who has the opportunity to be part of your, your collective, I think is very lucky and fortunate. And I thank you so much for being willing to share a little window into your world and, and help others learn from what you've learned along the way. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I, I could talk about this for forever. So um, it's been really, really fun and rewarding to be able to speak with you today, Bev. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. These, uh, these interviews go by so fast and we really just start to scratch the surface and get into, you know, the, the, the real depth of, of, of the topics. So, um, you know, I, I am just so grateful that uh, I've had the chance to meet you and I hope that this will be the first of many conversations and uh, just continuing to share um, this common passion for making the workplace uh, an extraordinary place for people to be in. And given how much time we each spend uh, in our, our day jobs or our, our evening jobs or whatever jobs we have, um, you know, why shouldn't these be places where we go to feel fulfilled and, and safe and invigorated? So, um, in closing, how could uh, one of our listeners uh, get in touch with you if they wish to do so? Uh, probably the best way to get in touch with me is via email. And can I just go ahead and give that? Absolutely, yes. Sure. And also, you can find me on LinkedIn. So Camille Nasita Gangas. And then email C Nasita, N I C I T A, at gangas.com. Wonderful. And uh, what's the most amazing thing uh, that you'll be doing uh, with the rest of your day today? Oh, that's a great question. I actually have a meeting right after this to talk about the hiring of, uh, of a new candidate. So um, 
Yeah, that will round out my day today. Yeah. Well, thanks fantastic. so much for having me. And thanks for, thank you for having the passion around this topic. It is so, so important, I feel, as you can tell. Um, but it's, it's just always refreshing to talk to people who share this passion and are so like-minded. So I really appreciate this podcast. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. And uh, I'm certainly loving every single conversation and every single beautiful human that I get to have those conversations with, yourself included. So thank you very much for your time. And I hope you find your hire in your next meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the People at Work podcast. I really appreciate your time and I would love to hear from you what you most enjoyed about the conversation today. If you'd like to leave us a review, please do so in the place where you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to ensure that you get every episode of People at Work, please do subscribe. And if there's any reason why you can't leave us a five-star review today, please do email me at bev at jostle.me and let me know what we can do to improve the podcast. And if you have any feedback on guests or topics that you'd like us to cover, shoot me an email at the same email address and I'd be delighted to start the conversation with you. Until next time, take care.